folks, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm East Forest. This week we're bringing you a conversation with Sheila Bringy. She played the Bansuri flute on the track Mind Karma on the Ram Dass Chapter 1 that was recently released. And Sheila's someone that I've known for um, several years. We, we cross paths out there in the world touring. And she's an incredible musician and has all sorts of other information and knowledge. And we just got to have a really good time digging deep into her process and what it's like to make music and the subject of music in, in general, get a little bit into the weeds with that, which I love. <laughs> and so I think you'll find this interesting too. And really just trying to give you a behind the scenes look into how some of these tracks were put together for uh, the East Forest Ram Dass project. And Mind Karma last week, we got a bit into Trevor Hall and his process with this same track. So I thought this would be fitting to have to have Sheila chime in too. And I want to do this with some of the other tracks as well, and maybe in different in different ways, but something you to, we'll try to put together in the coming weeks. But thank you to everyone who has been listening to the release since it came out, and particularly those of you who have... Who have uh, shared that online and shared your experience so that other people will know about it and can dive into this because really that's what we're doing right we're we're having our own felt experience and having the courage to be vulnerable enough to express how that resonates in us because more than likely and this is something i've always found with myself if it's resonating with you it's probably going to resonate with somebody else in the same way, you know, I mean, unique to them, but it's, there's a universal sense of experience and, and this kind of sharing helps us feel not alone. It helps us remember that we're having a shared experience and that we are connected and that we are in this human experiment together. So, uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for diving in with your hearts and for, for sharing that stuff online and you can always reach out at info at eastforest.org and that's your way of just saying hello or asking questions or comments and so forth uh, to this podcast i'll be out on the road in the coming weeks and months and we've been adding lots of new things so you can always check that out at eastforest.org i'll be around the country and like i said that's changing all the time and adding things in there been doing some interesting ceremony concerts coming up, which I'm always excited to continue to explore that methodology. And I'm really looking forward to weaving in some of this Ram Dass material into that. But it has been a joy to finally get this Ram Dass East Forest material out there and to watch the reverberations happen. The event we had in Boise was absolutely lovely. And I'm just really excited to continue this whole process together. Okay, so let's get into this conversation. This is Sheila Bringy. Here we go. Sheila. Sheila Bringy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for Where having me. Where are you? Um, Boulder, Colorado. Oh, how's the weather? It's actually, it's not bad. We had um, a few really big storms, some of the coldest weather I've ever experienced here, but. Really? Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I grew up here. <laughs> oh. <So. laughs> Well, I do want to ask you some questions about your background because yeah. I actually, it's good for me because I don't um, know. I just know like the broad strokes about you, but I've never actually asked you or gotten the details about how you got to be where you are. But I wanted to bring you on because you played on Mind Karma, mm -hmm. the song with the Ram Dass East Forest track and Trevor Hall's on that track. And so are you playing the Bansuri flute. And so I did want to ask you about your process with that. I think to me, that's always interesting to sort of like what it was like, because I wasn't there when you recorded mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I think it's sort of interesting for people to get a little bit behind the song and uncover the mystery of how we get from nothing to something. Yeah. And so I'll ask you about that first before we get into your uh, other stuff. So when I did reach out, 
And it's funny you did the flute because I think I was saying maybe do some harp or uh-huh. even maybe some anything. But what what led you to <laughs> say, oh, this is a flute thing. I'm going to do flute on this. Um, I think because I felt like the timbre, the flute and the kind of the breathiness and the, the sort of the wood tone would work well with it. Yeah. Um, I feel like with the harp, the way I play harp can sometimes be like kind of percussive and it, it has a lot of notes in it and stuff. And so you already had a lot of those elements in the track. And so I thought that the flute would be nice as kind of like floating on top. It's totally perfect. Um, it's just, inch, I just, I don't know, for some reason I didn't <laughs> know. Harp to me is an instrument. I actually play it on my Nord. Like I have oh, a yeah. Mellotron harp yeah. sample. So I actually like play harp sounds in mm-hmm. my live stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that's, I, I just love it. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard mm-hmm. to find people who play real harp and play it well. Mm-hmm. So I'm always just sort of eager. I think I've yeah. been bugging you to like do something on harp for a while. Well, I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what is your what would you say your predilection is for harp though? Like the styles that you feel the most comfortable in or the strongest in? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. My my journey with the harp was kind of interesting actually. The reason that I play it is because it was gifted to me when I was about fourteen. And I never like had the any instrument. Someone gave you one. Yeah, I never had any wow. thoughts of playing it before. But um, we have a close we have close family friends who um, became my godparents, and um, she played the harp. I went to visit her one summer, and mm-hmm. I played the piano. And so I sat down at her harp, and I started just like playing some melodies. And she felt like I had a real talent for it, so she decided to gift me her first harp. And so uh, was it a big one? No, it's like 33 strings. It's a folk harp, uh-huh. a beautiful yeah, yeah. wooden folk harp. And so they lived in Arizona and they drove it all the way down to Fort Collins, Colorado, where I grew up to gift it to me. And so then we had this harp in my house and I would kind of play it here now and then. And I loved the sound of it, but I never really got into it until a few years later. I took maybe a year of lessons on it in high school. And then I went to college and left it at my parents' house and didn't have it with me or play it for many years until I went to Cal Arts for grad school. And in my first year of Cal Arts, I started to get, I was playing a ton of Bansuri, the Indian bamboo flute that I play. And I started to get really bad tendonitis in my wrists. And so I could oh, barely, shit. I could, yeah, I could barely play for more than like 10 minutes at a time. And I was like in the middle of music school <laughs> for this. And, um, That's it was scary. Yeah, it was scary and depressing. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> there was an incredible, incredible harp, um, harp teacher on the faculty, Susie Allen. And I connected with her and, um, my dad very generously drove my harp, harp out (laughs) from Fort Collins all the way to Los Angeles. Um, and I started taking lessons with her and started to connect back with it and play a lot more because I couldn't play flute very much. So I started to play more harp and get into it. So that was only in like 2008. That harp has had some, some like tender loving care being driven around the country like a little <laughs> precious yeah. instrument person. It's a, it's not an easy instrument for travel. I actually ended up a few years later getting a carbon fiber one, which is the one that I tour with. But uh, So you haven't been playing it that long. Mm-mm, I haven't been playing it for that long. And I, I did learn some technique on it, but I don't play like class, like normal harp music, whatever that is, like Celtic Thank music God. or classical music yeah. or orchestral music. I just kind of do my own thing. I wrote my, write my own music. And if anything, I'm the most influenced by Indian music on the harp. So I call myself a raga harpist. Huh. And, and um, the harp though, it's not like microtonal, right? It's, is it in half steps? It's in half steps, but um, I can tune it to whatever I want. Ah. Um. So I can get those details if I if I want to, um, and I tend to tune it to a particular raga and use it to accompany my voice or to write music <clears throat> within like the scope of raga. Although I do add harmony in, into it as well because yeah. you can you can play around with that kind of stuff on an instrument like the harp. So I do play I do play harmony and stuff on it too. So it sort of allows me to kind of for lack of a better word, fuse the two styles. I hate that word fusion, but yeah. Um, Do you ever put it through some pedals, like any delays, verbs you know, or distortion, anything like that? I haven't played around too much with like distortion. 
Uh, I do, I was using a delay pedal for a long time and then I stopped recently, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm definitely going to try. There's some, there's a, there's a new reverb pedal out that I'm interested to try. Yeah. Which one? Um, you know, I've got to find the name of it. It's one that Clinton. You should check out, uh, the blue sky. I think that would be amazing. I actually have tried it with the blue sky. I don't have one, but I did try it out with that. Yeah. I like those yeah. and I like a lot of electroharmonics reverbs. Mm-hmm. Theirs are a little more like vintagey and they just, but they have a nice musical sound and they're mm-hmm. cheap too. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I installed um, a three element pickup and so it has a, a direct out. So, which sa- it actually sounds really beautiful, just natural. Cool. Um, so I just started using that sound because sometimes, you know, reverbs, if they're not quite quality, they kind of degrade the sound. And- yeah, but I'm well, still you open also look to at it. the um, Eventide. That stuff's pretty. Eventide, fancy. I have heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, they I'll have check a nice, it out. Really nice pedal that a lot of people use in the studios too. Nice. So you didn't do harp, I get it, but you <laughs> thought uh, the the Bansuri flute would be interesting, and that's yeah. something you ha- you have played a little longer, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when you were listening to the track and people listened to it, like, how did you, I know, cause you your first thing you sent was different. It was a little more like sustained notes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you were kind of thinking maybe you wanted to be a little more in the background. Right. And I was like, girl, you gotta like, do your thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't want to detract from, from the vocal, from Ram Dass's vocal in the mm-hmm. text. So, um, I tend to like listen to a track and think, how can I add to this without detracting or taking away from what's going on already? So, um, well, and it that didn't was my have Trevor Hall's but... vocal in it either. You were just riffing off just Ramdas, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but then when you gave me the notes, I I was like, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try something else. So, yeah, then you I, I like that. I know. It's like, oh my god! It's like this, you're holding back so big because your second thing you sent me was like all this ridiculous technique and riffs, and I was just like, this is re- this is sick. Like, I just moved them around and like, yeah. What's so cool? There was what I like about it, and it's not something I planned. Was that the 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 flute and Ramdas and Trevor, and it's mm-hmm. like those are the three sort of main melodic elements and they mm-hmm. take turns in a way and mm. then they're dancing around one another. So Ram Dass mm. is presenting this idea of like your mind is your karma, like that your mind mm-hmm. is a sort of gateway or filter that is holding us back from our experience mm-hmm. or it's the thing in between that in a way mm-hmm. of universal consciousness, loving God. And then I almost felt like the flute with its fast little riffs was... <laughs> personifying thoughts mm, mm-hmm. it's like the yeah. mind being mm-hmm. brrr, you know buzzing all over the place around him you know right and then trevor's right. singing these mantras that are almost representing the the other side of it sort of like mm. here's this universal energy and the two of them dancing around ramdas which i think it's so cool <laughs> this was a really interesting way that 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 I love that when it happens, you know, like yeah. these different elements, people doing th- things in different places, and then you put it together, and it, it has a cohesiveness. Yeah, and I I I appreciate that process too of like just putting something down, what my first instinct would be, and hearing from you yeah. what you could hear, and then I was like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. Okay, let's try that. Let's try that direction, yeah, and yeah. then seeing kind of the final product of how you you pull it all together and pull you know, three, four different people into a cohesive thing. Is, really is cool. your, so what is your process when you're actually recording for that? Do you just kind of like improvise or do you have a process with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a little bit, if I broke it down, I listened to it first and um, kind of, like I was mentioning before, I think about what I could do to add, to add to it that won't take away or distract. And then, I think about what what's the mood of the piece and how can I amplify that mood? And, do you um, look at that in a musical way or is it more of a feeling? Um, it's both. So so I've studied a lot of Indian, spent many years studying Indian classical music and continue to. And um, the main central melodic um, framework for that, for Indian music is called raga. And raga literally means 
um, passion or color, and it's described as that which colors the mind. So raga is is, is all about mood and uh, mm-hmm. setting a mood and setting an atmosphere um, and molding, molding, <laughs> like molding the mind, really mm-hmm. coloring the mind um, as it's a literal meaning. So, so when I listen to something like that, I'm, I'm, I, I have an ear kind of for that. So on this, on this piece, I didn't play like a classical raga with it, although I'm very influenced by that. So it comes through, I think, in everything I do in the way that I think about music and, um, and improvise. So what would that mean if it was classical raga? Is that like a particular scale or is it more of an approach? It's it's more of an approach. So so classical raga would have some more kind of like it's basically um, like um, melodic motifs, many 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 different melodic motifs uh, that um, evoke a mood within a scale. <laughs> so so basically, you have a set of pitches, and sometimes the pitches will be slightly different going up or down, kind of like a melodic minor scale where it goes. Um, the seventh, the sixth and seventh degree are different going up and down. <clears throat> so you can have, you can have that in a raga. You won't always, but you can have notes that change depending upon the direction that you're going melodically. And so you're always within those fixed pitches. So you're never going outside of those, whether it's seven or you have a couple notes that change nine notes, something like that. Um, or it can be f- as little as five. There's ragas that are five tone. Um, and so that's the first thing is that you're sticking within those notes, but n- not only just sticking within those notes, you're also sticking within a particular way of playing those notes and particular oh. um, motifs and stuff. And so within that, there's a lot of freedom in improvisation, and but it's still like, so it's not completely open like you might play Dorian mode and play anything you want in Dorian mode. It's sort of like you play Dorian mode with the kind of in a particular way. And that's, that's where Raga is. In a How do they big... communicate though what that way is? Because uh, I know you're saying that they're, yeah. they want it to cultivate essentially a certain feeling. Yes. A field of energy. So it's Correct. sort of like, I'm curious why these restrictions help do that. I understand the scale stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's the way, so the first year, answer your first question, how do you learn it? You learn it through a teacher and basically imitating what they do in the beginning. And then once you learn, um, once you learn the way of moving through the notes, um, there's, a, you know, you kind of add your own your own uh, perspective on it or your own twist on it or your own way of doing it. So, um, yeah. And, and it seems like at first glance, it, it seems like maybe these are sort of like rules or limitations or um, maybe not that exciting, but it's, it's a way of shaping and molding consciousness. And, um, and it's always, you're always singing, you're always playing, against a drone you've probably heard of the tanpura or the thambura yeah 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 so it's the kind of ubiquitous <laughs> sound that you always hear in bang, bang, exactly. Bang. Yeah. um exactly so i'm just gonna turn my input level down a little bit sorry um you're good so that is always playing in the background and it has kind of like a little bit of a twangy sound and what we do so so to back up the thanpura is a four to six string instrument and it it's, has a big gourd uh, resonator. And so it's played um, by striking each string individually in its own kind of a rhythmic pattern that doesn't have anything to do with the rhythm of the song. It just has its own kind of a mesmerizing uh, loop that's in, in the way you play it. And each string right near the bridge you put a little tiny, another piece of string in between the bridge and the string to create um, that sort of twangy sound, which really opens up all the harmonics of the string. So it's kind of like- Sort of like overtones. Exactly, all the overtones. So it's like you play, people who play guitar and prepare it with paper or, you know, they play prepare guitar, prepare piano. It's kind of the similar thing where you put paper or string or something in the strings to make it sound different create a different uh, 
harmonic spectrum, if you will. <laughs> so anyway, that's what, that's how the thumb that's how the thumbura works. And so it creates all these. So it's very very harmonically rich. That's what I'm trying to say in a very complicated way. Well, just to interject, <laughs> that makes yeah. a lot of sense because yeah. um, you know overtones are kind of where it's at in the sound healing world mm-hmm. as far as the richness mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. power of a tone. So like yes. a Tibetan bowl or a gong, or exactly. obviously it's super rich in that. And every instrument has overtones, as we know, yes. but you're saying this is a way of their amplifying it. And yes. that would make sense why that droniness, then you you kind of making the overtones more audible. Yes. And on top of that, it's a drone. So it's sort of creating this sort of entrainment of the brain yes. through the consistency of the tone. So yeah, it yes. makes, makes a lot of sense. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And so then when you play, so Raga, Raga was um, developed um, by ancient sound yogis, if you will, and um, in deep meditation and experimenting with um, s- s- circles of, of tones, which which come from uh, just intonation, so the sort of natural harmonic series system, like perfect fifths, yeah. So like exactly. the ratios are true, exactly. so to speak, exactly yeah, true ratios, yeah. exactly. So so Indian music is based on it's called a five limit system, which is Ratios of perfect fifths and perfect thirds. And so every note in a raga is related to each other through pure ratios. So so those are the notes that I'm talking about as being your palette of what you work with. All right, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you would never hear then a piano in a raga because it's it can't it's very, almost never tuned to just intonation. Yeah, I mean it's a modern adaptation. You do hear mm-hmm. you you do hear equal temperament like for example things evolve and change. So for example the harmonium is a really good example of this. So mm-hmm. the, the people think of the harmonium associated with like Krishna das, right? That's probably the first thing that will come to someone's mind if they've never heard of it. Um he's on this record too. Oh cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So yeah. So the harmonium is associated with kirtan, and kirtan comes from India. So people think the harmonium is an Indian instrument, but it's actually not. It's actually a French instrument originally, and it was taken to India during the time of colonization. No shit. Yeah, and the original harmoniums are foot-pumped organs. Yeah. Yeah, and so then when they got to India with the missionaries, um, Indians adapted it in North India uh, to be able to sit on the floor and be able to sing like in the temples or wear it around your neck. And um, it came into North Indian music really strongly. However, it's equal-tempered. So you have this dichotomy there, and you have – it's also a lot of differing opinions on – <clears throat> on you know how good or bad that was for Indian classical music. Some people. When was this? The 1800s. <clears throat> this was. <clears throat> yeah, when when the British first colonized India, up until. Have you? Go ahead. Uh, there's a. Have you had their book? I think it's called. Uh, it's like the story of, or the history of equal temperament or something mm. like that. It's a little book. It's really good. I haven't read it. No. There's also another podcast I did with Alexander. Alexander Tanus, you'd okay. like it a lot because it's all about this. Oh, cool. And he's super deep into that world, maybe too deep, but it's <laughs> for you, you and me, you'd be like, oh, this is this is dope. But yeah. I, mean, I like, I like, that's fascinating though that you think about the harmonium. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because it's a keyboard instrument. And just to give people a primer, if they're kind of a little lost on just intonation <laughs> or equal temperament, uh, it's to say that like, you know, music is let's just call there's math in the universe, right? So zero to to uh, like a fifth represents a ratio. Um, what is that? Four to one, five to one, two to one, whatever it is. Do you know? Yeah, I think it's two to one. It's two to one. Let's say it's two to one. Let's just say for argument's sake, just for, that's good math. So it's very, it's like one, you know, double twice that is two. Object so that's a perfect nice, yeah. yeah. Think of it like a, a nice triangle or a square, a nice perfect shape. And when they did a piano, so those just exist. Those ratios just exist. It's just math. And when we sing, if you were to sing a note and I sing the fifth, and we're, maybe our brains would naturally just make it the right ratio, and that would be called just intonation. Yeah. yeah. Whereas a piano, they wanted to develop an instrument that could play in all the different keys, all 12 mm-hmm. keys, like C, D, E, and so forth. 
in order to do that and fit it onto a piano, they had to tweak these ratios a bit, make them smaller and larger so that it would all fit on one piano. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of an advance in the technology in a way. But in order to do that, the fifths became, I believe, a little shorter. Like it's not quite mm-hmm. all the way yeah. there in the thirds yeah. also. Yeah. And what's crazy is we're so used to hearing this in our Western ear because most music is like, is now what that's called equal temperament. That sounds normal to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you hear just intonation, for some people, it sounds out of tune, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a crazy thing to think. Mm -hmm. But so like the human voice or or instruments like string instruments where your finger, where you put it on the fret uh, determines uh, the pitch, they can more easily play around with just intonation because they can just do it by how you sing or how you play the instrument. But a piano, when I hit a key, I can't change its pitch. So I don't have the ability, like when I play piano, to change right. into just intonation yeah. without retuning the whole piano. And then it would only work in one key, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's right. my little background. You're welcome to add to that if I right. missed anything Thanks. or got it wrong. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Um, we were so talking yeah, about your um, back to the harmonium. Oh, to the harmonium. Anyway, so um, I, so yeah, so the harmonium entered into Indian classical music, even though it's not just intonation, but it, it's an accompaniment instrument, and um, it's never like usually like the main focus. It's usually supporting the vocal, and the vocal is still doing its own microtonal, quote unquote, microtonal, justly intoned notes. But so it's it's an interesting thing that happened, and um, I. I, in my music, tend to move through both systems. So I study vocal and in my classical vocal singing, always sing against a drone and, and you know, try to really sink into the pure intervals. Um, but when I play harmonium or harp, I also introduce Western harmony into it. And so then I tend to, to kind of move more with equal temperament. But when I'm singing, I'll still sing the just notes, but I'll use equal temperament as a way to accompany, but I won't always play like the third, for example. I'll sing the but third. when you're playing the, the harp play. and the harmonium, you yeah. don't have the option, right? It's you don't have the option. I mean, the, the harp I do, and I do um, keep one of my harps, my wooden harp. I do more like experiments with tuning in it and keep it keep it more like in one key and stuff like that. And then my my other harp, I keep it more equal equal temperament. So I kind of I play around with both because there's there's pros and cons of each system. You know what I mean? Well, there's another way to you know another aspect of this is yeah. what we're tuning to. For instance, right now A being 440 as the oh, standard, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and that's another interesting point because yeah. you know there is no A, right? There's infinite spectrum of sound in the universe. Yeah. Just, from things we can't hear to things uh, up high and super low. We, our ears can just hear from like 20 hertz to about 20,000 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. And us saying that A is 440 is our decision. But throughout mm-hmm. history, that has shifted. Mm-hmm. You know, And even to this day, some European orchestras tune around 443, 444. Mm-hmm. And some rock artists like Jimi Hendrix, some Beatles experimented with this. Mm. They tuned to lower tunings as a way oh, of sort of getting outside the box. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and, and so this whole argument as like 528, this sort of stuff mm-hmm. people get into, oh, I think what they're not understanding is that there is there is no there is no fundamental tuning. And right. maybe it's just like this intuitive desire to get out of like a certain standardized right. system, just be like, right. oh, I just want to tune my guitar down or up or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But the real thing to me is what, what you're talking about, just intonation yeah. versus equal. Yeah. Like if you're singing true ratios, that's just... That's quite obvious. It just yeah. is or it isn't. Correct. You know, regardless <laughs> of what the A is tuned to. Oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. I think. Do you tune? Do you tune to four forty? I tune my keyboard when I play live up. Actually, oh, you tune it I up. Tune it. It's twelve oh. cents sharp. Yeah, oh, you go the and other I do way. that the to get closer. Right now. <laughs> well, because I'd have to tune it down like almost a half step, which sounds terrible. Yeah, when you start bending pitches that much, it's not that great. Right, right. but a little bit is fine. It's yeah, good yeah. enough for rock and roll. And it's like that way. Like if I want to pull out like a harmonic or something, yes, they're not actually totally in tune, but that's actually okay and mm-hmm. kind of interesting. And. <laughs> Yeah. I've been doing that for years. You know, yeah. most of my stuff is, um, except like this record, 
a mm. lot of it's not because I was playing with so many other people and instruments that it got, it'd be way too complex. Well, string string players hate me when I'm like, oh, this is this is twelve cents sharp. They're yeah. like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. My instrument sounds terrible. Right. Sorry. Sorry right. that I. No, and thank you for doing that you. because, like, my bansuris, I, I don't have flexibility. I can change the pitch a little bit with my embouchure. Oh, but yeah. My, See, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I have my bansuris yeah. made in 440 because I normally play with people in 440. But yeah, um, harmoniums are the same way. Actually, harmoniums are generally shipped from India at like 443 or 444. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the reeds in there like over time, like I have a melodica yeah. that's made of wood and, you know, I had to tune it because it goes out. All mm-hmm. the keys are going up and down mm-hmm. and stuff. And Right. Yeah. But yeah, I would have, I would have probably been a bit frustrated too if it had been 12 cents sharp. Yeah. Do. You'd just be sitting there trying to purse your lips and get it <laughs> up a little bit. You're like, what the hell? I what think also, doing? I think also too, it's a matter of like what um, sits the best for a particular instrument. Like for Indian instruments, 440 is more like a recent standard. And so the sitar, for example, oftentimes sitar players will play somewhere in between C sharp and D or somewhere in between C and C sharp because that's where the string tension is the best for the way that their instrument is made because the instruments aren't made, you know what I mean, like to a specific standard. Well, if it's just them, a singer, and a tabla player, they can pull that off because they all can adjust, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You, you throw a piano into the mix or <laughs> whatever, things that are like, dude, yeah. I can't I can't change. You're going to have to succumb to me. I mean, yeah. a lot of equal temperament was because they're succumbing to the piano. Right. Once that became like an orchestral instrument. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They had to. Mm-hmm. Interesting. interesting. So <laughs> that was a long tangent, but... um. So you were playing the Bansuri on this song yeah. and you were just sort of improvising, but I asked you how you came up with the phrasing. You're saying it was sort of part intuitive, part your process was looking like riffing off a raga, mm-hmm. you know, but not being too beholden to it. Correct. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Okay. And so what did, what, when, so you were just like throwing a bunch of phrases down in that style, just kind of, do you like, I mean, for you, is it about getting into a, a state for yourself or is it about the opposite? Like, just don't even think about it, just kind of riff or what's your recording process like? Um, I would say, I don't, I mean, there's no particular thing I do beforehand when I record. Like, I don't know, it would probably be good if I meditated or something but normally <laughs> maybe not maybe not maybe because not. for me it's like it's like i'm putting too much pressure mm. you know yeah when we had lorraine in the studio she plays saxophone mm-hmm. on a couple tracks and she's um i she came all the way in all this stuff you know we're about to hit record and she's like well shouldn't we like you know <laughs> do this or that and i was like we should definitely not let's just go let's just start making music you yeah. just make some noise don't even think about it it's, it's casual yeah. You know, but yeah. I think that's how I am too, because once I start playing, that puts me in the frame of mind, you know, totally. and listening to what's there already and trying to kind of gel with what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And is, is that, do you, you're making your own music too, or is it mostly a combination of that and playing on other records and with? You mean in terms of recording or just in what I'm doing in yeah, general? Yeah, well, your own process as own. an artist. Yeah, I mean, right now, what I've been doing the last <clears throat> few years, I guess, is really focusing on um, singing and studying with my Indian vocal teacher. Um, and I, I want to become a better singer. <laughs> That's been my main focus for quite a while, as well as what I was talking about with the harp and what I call like raga harp or um, that kind of thing. So, so being able to accompany my voice using the harp and experimenting with different techniques of doing that um, and the flute too. But um, I do spend a lot of time practicing just traditional you know, classical music, Indian classical music and raga. And then from there, generally I'll get inspirations to write a new piece or um, like a project or collaboration that I want to do. But for the last few years anyway, it's been definitely rooted in that in my personal practice. Is your personal practice like rooted in preparation for events or is it more like, I don't know, is there there a particular, what, what does it mean to you to shed and practice? 
Oh, wow. Um, let's change a lot over the years. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think for a long time for me, I had to have a gig or a show in order to be motivated. Yeah. I'm, I'm vibe that. Um, working a lot on my discipline and my inner motivation. I have in my life mostly been externally motivated in terms of like, you know, a teacher expecting certain things of me or a gig that I need to prepare for. So as I get older, though, I'm starting to understand the value of <laughs> setting that for myself and uh, so on. So it's a work in progress. What is that value, though? Is it is it like for you when you're, cl- you're practicing yeah. like the voice with classical Indian mm-hmm. Music is it about how you feel afterwards, or is it is it more like devotional? It's or is both. it just more That's like actually, I just want to be a better musician? I think it's I w- actually I would say it's all three. I would say that um, it's beginning to see that like I am just so much happier every day that I sing, and it totally shifts my mood and my whole day goes yeah. better. I feel so much better, and then when I have people over to play with me or record, I'm just like ready and my chops are like in good shape and everything Mm -hmm. is just going better and also life just goes better you know like I feel like um when I am spending time you know in the energy of that then that tends to flow more towards me and my life then opportunities tend to flow more smoothly towards me when I'm spending more of my time doing that yeah something about tapping into the creative process mm-hmm. is magical about yeah. how it helps you and your brain and your life. It's, it's what makes you unique as a human right. being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when you exercise that part of your abilities, especially when you're mastering something, it really unlocks something for the soul. The soul is <laughs> singing and it's just happy. It's just happy. And it's also like, um, I think without having it be a routine and a daily thing, um, then how, like that's for me, that's the only way those magical moments come through of like an original piece is when I'm regularly, when I'm regularly sitting down and getting into that space. So, yeah, I mean, and it's also, for me, it's also correlated with my move to Boulder. (laughs) Um, what well, did you say you grew up there? I did. I, well, I grew up in Fort Collins, which is nearby. Oh, but yeah, I yeah, spent yeah, the yeah. last 15 years living in California. Oh, and the last shit. almost in LA? Yeah, you were in LA. I was, right? I was for, for I was five years in the Bay Area, right from when I was 18. So 18 to whatever, 23 or something, I was in the Bay Area. And then I moved to, to LA when I went to grad school at Cal Arts and just stayed there until a couple of years ago. <clears throat> so I was there for almost 10 years in LA. And you know, it's like, I think about my time in LA. It's like you graduate, I graduated. I was in 2009. I was like in my mid twenties with a master of fine arts degree in world music performance with an emphasis in North Indian music. I got one of those. You know what I call those? <laughs> I call them motherfucking arts. Motherfucking, exactly. It's like MFA, baby. <laughs> it's like, what do you do? Like I graduated and it's it's crazy. It's like, how do you find your way with a degree like that when you don't know anything about business and you don't know anything about how to manage yourself or your gigs or your discipline or, you know, any of that stuff. And so it took a long time, you know, like eight years or something in LA. And um, so I think it, it makes sense being in LA that I would have been motivated by, you know, gigs and this and that and all the kind of external stuff that I had to do to kind of get my career off the ground. Totally. You know? And so since being in Boulder, it's been nice because it's just so much quieter and calmer and I have so much more inner space to spend (laughs) on practice. Well, I told uh, Trev Hall that you guys are in the same town. When we were doing his talk about this and, um, It's a great place you are because I know I'm sure a lot shifted for you when you moved from Los Angeles to there. And didn't you say you're also now heading up Nosara or what? Not Nosara. Um, What is it? I just started teaching at Naropa. That's my Naropa Naropa University. That might be what you're thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a shift too. Yes, it is. It's, we just had just my first class this past week. It's um, definitely shift it's it's great it's really fun um it's kind of environment that i think 
this this is just perfect for um yeah at that school so yeah well it's great that they have someone with your background and that it's sort of you're younger and kind of coming at it from a practical perspective and kind of combining modern elements with old elements because mm. that's where we're at mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. right you know that's that seems very relevant yeah thank you yeah i i i i think so <laughs> i think so what are you do, what are you specifically teaching there yeah, what yeah. is the program so so um it's it's a program called indian devotional and raga singing and um it was started many years ago by my first so when i was growing up in fort collins and um Around the, when I was around 12 years old, I started studying the Bansuri, the flute. And my mom found me a teacher in Boulder named Kabir, Chaitanya Kabir. And so I studied with him between the ages of 12 and 18, and he lived in Boulder. So he was my first Bansuri and Raga teacher. And um, he started the Naropa program. Um, when? Um, whew, I actually, like a while ago, a while a ago, long time ago. ago, I don't know yeah. the date, but yeah. it's been probably a decade at least I would say. Okay. Yeah. And so he, and he also started to have monthly kirtans at Naropa, but these kirtans are not like any sort of Western kirtan that people may have attended. Um, they are, what's really beautiful about Kabir is that he fuses, he brings together Raga which comes from Indian classical music and kirtan, which is a folk form of devotional call and response singing. So um, it might seem natural that those would go together, but they're not traditionally taught together. Um, But he did. He taught them together. And that was how I grew up learning. And so for me, that was totally natural. Um, So I, I love what he started here because it goes to the roots of raga and of all these things we're talking about um, resonance and just intonation. And, and, you know, the first thing that we are going to teach our students is we're going to bring in five or six tamburas and teach everyone how to play tambura and how to tune tambura and how to sing just sa, just a unison note with the tambura and how to feel what it feels like, hopefully to feel like it's in tune and really listen deeply to the harmonics and stuff like that. So it's kind of like starting just mm. from that um, basis um, of being able to hear the overtones and sing just intoned intervals, um, then build raga on top of that, and then kirtan and mantra as well with that. So I find when when kirtan is sort of empowered with raga and empowered with that that whole kind of field, which comes from Nada Yoga, the yoga of sound, and um, kind of with that approach and perspective, it just becomes so much more expansive. So anyway, so this program is very unique in that respect that Kabir and I both feel, and I learned from Kabir this way, but we both feel very passionate about raga and about intonation. And um, Is the uh, program geared towards performance, like for musicians, um, or is it more geared towards um, anyone? It's geared towards anyone. So right now I'm teaching a level one, and our level one has... Um, you know, we have 24 students from all, um, departments, mostly a lot of students are from the yoga studies department at Naropa. Um, and Naropa has just started a master's degree too in yoga studies, but most of them are yoga studies. Is, is it an MFA? No, it's an MFA. <laughs> <laughs> and we have psychology students. We have a couple, we have a handful of music majors. But it's actually. Do you know what would be interesting yeah. is is cross pollinating exactly. that with psychology and psychotherapy. Yes. Social yes. work, singing mm-hmm. as well. It's sort of like art therapy, I guess. Yes, totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. yes, and of course, Naropa has you know famous somatic psychology program too. So we have psychology students, a few music majors. But then next semester, I'm going to teach a level two that's going to be offered for the first time at Naropa along with the level one. So for that, um, I'm going to be recruiting like musicians and music majors to just jump right into level two um, because mm-hmm. level one right now is accessible for all. You, you don't have to have any singing experience to be in level one. So anyway. <laughs> I'd be interested to see like how that could also integrate into psychedelic studies. Right. Like singing. Yeah. Because singing so yes. therapeutic. Yes. And there's a, there's a saying I've heard about when people are having a difficult trip, um, 
It's like, oh, have them sing a song because it regulates their breath. Mm. It puts their mind on something. Mm -hmm. And then the vibration, it feels really good. It can just shift their whole state of Mm -hmm. being. And then you add on all the stuff about, well, what if it's like, you know, these really cool fifths and they're feeling yes. it and you know i mean it's already got this drone going i mean that could be incredible yes, for people it could yeah they're i believe boulder really open things i believe up. boulder is one of the places where they're starting um is it psilocybin studies with um what is it ptsd i, be, I can't remember exactly really? i can't believe which psychedelic it is but i'm pretty sure it's well it well, there's, there's stuff going on with uh, MAPS and MDMA that's been going on maybe, for a long time. And they're really close to finishing their clinical trials with PTSD. Okay, maybe it's MDMA. I got to look uh, it up. That's bad. I should know which drug it is. That they're doing. Uh, well, that's, you know, there's no need for you to know this, but th- I know that's happening all, all over through MAPS, and that's great. And the, the psilocybin stuff is it's a little further back. It's more... Um, they're they're just starting to see how it affects okay, things so, like okay. depression and cluster headaches. But I wouldn't be surprised if it has profound effects on. Uh, yeah. But they're not even in a phase one. Oh, okay. No, you're like right. That. It is maps. So, I just didn't remember my drug yeah. prep correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're mixing your I drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. It sounds like a really really cool program and this is not remote people are there people are here yeah yeah i um hope my ambition my hope is to develop it into a minor um but right now it's, it's just a it's a few courses so and what how do you differentiate mantra from uh because kirtan? Kirtan? You, you said that you said you said mantra kirtan yeah. and raga yeah. as if like the three separate yeah things. that's a really good question that's a that's a great question um <clears throat> So kirtan is, um, as I mentioned, it's a folk form of music, and it uses some mantras, like some more well-known mantras, like, for example, Om Namah Shivaya or um, the Maha Mantra, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, right? But it also uses lyrics that aren't mantra. So it, it can use bits of devotional poetry or um, the names of deities, or <clears throat> there's also kirtan, which is to the formless aspect of the divine. So we think of kirtan as like you're singing to Krishna, you're singing to Kali, or, you know, but there's also kirtan, which is to the formless aspect um, of the divine. Like Ram? Ram or- well, Ram is still a form, right? Ram is still, mm. he was he's a deity, he was a king, he was a historical figure, but I'm talking about... Um, Kirtan, that is um, like talking about, for example, the essence of Om. So Om is not form uh, a uh-huh. form. It's not a deity. It's it's a it just is. It's a vibration. <laughs> it just is right. Or wow. talking about yeah. the nature of the mind or things like this. It's, it's um, formless. So, but anyway, that I digressing a little bit from your question. So Kirtan can have all of those different things and Kirtan can have Sanskrit in it or any other language. So can have the vernacular of any language, Hindi, Gujarati, Marathi, as you know, there's tons of language, Indian languages. Um, and it's not necessarily grammatical Sanskrit. Now, mantra, on the other hand, comes from mantra yoga, which um, is a lot more exacting in the way that it's pronounced and um, in its grammar and um, in its form. So, so, so I would say, so mantra is like, um, it's like a classical science and kirtan is like a folk devotional type of. But they use mantra. In yeah. Kirtan, so, right? But you can also use mantra in a looser, like the way we use mantra in the word in the English language is like, anything that's repeated over and over again. So if you look at mantra Would that, that be way, like TM, meditation? Is that Transcendental that? meditation uses mantra. Yeah. yeah. It's a mantra meditation. It's a mantra meditation. Right? Yeah. We're using yeah. very simple mantras. It's, yeah. Uh, so kirtan is like m- mantra and melody and song, but it's not always using <laughs> mantra. Sometimes the words that it uses aren't mantra. Does that make sense? <laughs> It sounds to me like we're looking down on Kirtan a little bit. We're like, this is this is for the the folk no, people. No, I don't no, know no, what no. Up to. <laughs> I'm just oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. You're saying, well, Kirtan's sort of mashing things up a little yes. bit and adding in other elements, and it it's 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 but mantras precedes it, I would presume. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Um, mantra, like, if we're looking at a cla the classical view, mantra is like a classical type of thing that uses like proper pronunciation and proper guidelines and everything. And kirtan is folk. I think that's yeah. a good way of saying it. Would you say those are sort of the three, though, major pillars of Indian classical music? The three main pillars. I would true? say, um, so Indian so mantra is not so much mantra and kirtan are not um, considered Indian classical music. So, so the pillars of Indian classical music would be raga and thala. So raga is what we talked about before, being the melodic framework that's sung over a drone, um, using perfect, pure intervals, and and thala means rhythm. Oh. Yeah. So thala is it, it means rhythm. It also is um, means like cycle of time. So like something being in four beats or seven beats or nine beats or 12 or 16, or that's called the thala of a song. So I would say those are the pillars is raga and thala. And then also rasa. So rasa is the, um, it literally means like essence or juice, but rasa refers to uh, what we were talking about with mood. So the mood of a, of a raga or the, the mood that the performer is, intending or working to instill an audience so i would that seems a little harder to teach and talk it about is it's, it's more, not it's more figurative it's, it is yeah it's it's just it's taught through just doing and experiencing um it's the formless in a way mm -hmm. so i would say those are the pillars raga thala and resa hope i'm not forgetting one but <laughs> Do you ever have you ever heard the Brooklyn Raga Association? Mm -hmm. stuff? Oh, totally. Yeah, I've I've played up yeah. at their events a couple of times. Oh, yeah, cool. I'm I'm a huge they fan and follower with, of Brooklyn Raga Massive. Oh, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah, they did a Terry uh -huh. Riley. Yeah, thing, yeah. Which I thought was like, how does that work? But they did it. They did a bunch of Terry Terry Riley music. Well, you know Terry Riley. So there is a cohort of contemporary pro com composers, including Terry Riley, who I actually also studied with when I was at Mills in Oakland. Terry Riley and um, um, there's another one, Art Landy, who's here in Boulder. And there's another, there's a handful mm -hmm. of composers who studied with an Indian vocalist, Pandit Pranath. So, but when I listen to that Brooklyn yeah. Raga stuff, there's, I don't think there's any vocals, are there? It's all well, instrumental. Yeah, yeah, but um, it, it, that's, that's fine. Instru instruments. I mean, so Terry Riley wrote and was heavily influenced by Raga and he actually, sometimes performs raga too. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, he's a contemporary composer, so he's like doing all kinds of stuff, but it's definitely informed and influenced by that heavily. And when I studied with him too, you, I could tell in his teaching and in his whole um, being, you know, like it's there, that influence is, is very much there. So I love so much what Brooklyn Raga Massive is doing because they are um, really like, doing all kinds of contemporary stuff and cross-cultural explorations. And, um, you know, they did a John Coltrane Raga tribute. So they're looking at like Western musicians who have been deeply influenced by Raga and playing their music. And that's just like with Indian classical musicians and instruments. So that's just, to me, that just is so awesome. It's really exciting. Do you think it's feasible to get into Raga as a, through piano or keyboard instruments? Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can learn it on even an equal tempered instrument and still benefit greatly from its approach, even though you might not necessarily be playing the pure intervals. Um, I think that the approach of raga and the way of thinking about melody and the beautiful combinations of notes and color palettes that you get, like we have in Western music, we have like 12 modes. You know, we have the Greek modes and we have like whole tone scales and diminished scales and half diminished scales, but it comes nowhere near the number of ragas that are in existence. So you get purely from just like um, wanting to increase, like someone wanting to increase their like musical palette of what they have available to them when they play. It's like studying raga will open that up a lot. So they just have, they're essentially like lots of different specific scales. Yes. Like, hey, use these Correct. notes. And that's, and then, 
and aside from that, you're saying then it's like, you said there's a vibe you're trying to yes. go for. And is there a rhythm or is it mostly the well, vibe that, sort of speak to that? The, other, the second pillar, or but not second in order of importance, of course, which is thala, which is the rhythmic component. So the rhythmic component too is, I think, one of the most amazing ways to study rhythm because you learn how to improvise in cycles of time that we're not taught in the West, you know? So it opens up like, you're like not four or four. Exactly. Kind yeah. Of different types of polyrhythmic exactly. stuff. Or- and there's so many ways like of conceiving like a seven cycle and the way that um, Indian music breaks that down is really cool because it makes it really simple and like you can go step by step and learn how to play in seven so that it becomes really natural. Oh, I only have one song in seven, four. It's um, a song called fresh start. Nice. That, you nice. Know, I was just heard that the other day and I was like, all right, that's in a seven. I like that. It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And and what kind of stuff are you jamming on? Like, what do you like to listen to, or is it is it totally diverse? Yeah, it's totally diverse. Um, I listen to obviously quite a bit of Indian classical music. Um, I also let me just think about this. Um, there's there's some musicians out of New York that I've been listening to a lot lately. There's a singer called Somi who is um, a jazz singer and I forget exactly where she's from, but she, I think it's, she's Ugandan. I'm, I think I'm not completely sure, but she's Mm -hmm. just incredible, beautiful singer. And she incorporates a lot of um, African rhythms in her music and um, African languages and folk songs and stuff like that. It's beautiful. Um, And there's another Actually, he's part of Brooklyn Raga Massive. His name is Max ZT. He plays Hammer Dulcimer and has a band called House of Waters, which I love. It's um, Hammer Dulcimer, but he studied Indian classical music. So it's Indian Hammer Dulcimer and um, bass and percussion. It's beautiful, like the the harmonic movement that he creates with his cool. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. What's your uh, guilty pleasure <laughs> kitchen music? In the car, like, oh, I'm just going to throw this in. <laughs> My guilty pleasure. Not that it's bad. It's just sort of like, you know, it's like, like for me, that might be, I have lots, but it's like Sunday morning, like Motown. Right. Or, um, you know, I mean, how can you go wrong? Or um, uh, I like a lot of electronic music. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's some really, you know, modern stuff that's just amazing so fun not like edm but like you know chiasmos is definitely my favorite uh, i don't know if you know them but um i would say let's see i was recently listening to the tune yards really loud oh uh, well, yeah it's, she's good. <laughs> it's awesome stuff. It's stuff i guess it's not so much a guilty pleasure but um it's not a guilty pleasure stevie she's, wonder she said like <laughs> i heard some interview like her when she was making that project, yeah. she's like, I just want the music to be kind of yeah. weird. Like, that was like her like, ethos. Like, no, not weird enough. It needs to be a little weird. Right. You know, so <laughs> a lot of quick, quick corners and strange, mm-hmm. you know, rhythms, which is, it's really mm-hmm, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, I mean, just like you, any kind of like funk and Motown and like any of that stuff I'm putting on for sure regularly. Awesome. Well, this song, Mind Karma, when this comes out, is out. So I hope people mm-hmm. hear it. And you're the one, Sheila Bringy, playing the Bansuri <laughs> flute. And where can people find you online? Um, my website is shebrings.com. So she, B-R-I-N-G-S, shebrings.com. On Facebook, Sheila Bringy, Instagram. I'm on YouTube also. Right on. Right on. Cool. Well, I... Thanks for giving us some insight and letting me pepper you with questions. My pleasure. Um, maybe we'll do it again sometime and get deep into. I have still have more, more music. <laughs> cool, questions. that'd be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thank yep. you. Well, there it is. Thank you to Sheila Bringy for gracing us with your time 
I can't wait to get into these subjects even deeper, and I'm sure we'll have her back to talk about it more. Uh, when I'm done talking here, I will play for you the track Mind Karma so you can hear Sheila and her wonderful Bansuri flute work. And if you want to check out the whole album or this track in high-definition fidelity audio, you can do that wherever you listen to music, as well as eastforest.org, where you can see it in lossless wave format, if that's your music nerd kind of thing. Thank you for reviewing this podcast. Giving it five stars and a written review means a lot, and it really helps to get this thing out there and for people to take a chance on listening to it. And I really appreciate... um, that little, that little gift you give me to help this thing keep on moving. But you can always uh, reach out directly just to say hi or thanks or just any comments or questions at info at eastforest.org. That's your main portal for, for information. And I just hope you keep enjoying enjoying the uh, new material. Ramdas Chapter 2 comes out March 22nd. But for now, um, keep telling us your stories there online on social media and We'll keep this movement and this story happening together because that's what it is. It's something we're we're doing together, pushing forth a new story, being vulnerable together, and and seeing what happens. So, thanks so much. Keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. But when you do, if you do, do it with grace, folks. May the forest be with you. Our karma. our mind. And the mind stands in the way of a clear view of God. Clouded perceptions. <laughs> 